0: Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighborhood network connecting you to
1: what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbors who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to Where Kindness Lives. Hi, I'm Jenny Sager, and my guest today is British children's author and mother Jenna Wyman jenna is tackling the tough issues that families all over the world face every single day she's helping children deal with difficult subjects like divorce bereavement and anxiety using art therapy and psychology the adventures of woogie big pants is breaking down barriers and giving parents useful tools and kids the voice to open up jenna this is an issue that i know parents will love to hear more on Welcome to Where Kindness Lives. Before we get anywhere, though, I just want to hear more about your amazing hair.
0: Do you know, it's quite strange. I was just talking about this. My hair color got me so much trouble when I was younger. And I and now as an adult, it's all everyone ever says to me about oh my gosh well it is a beautiful orange kind of reddish color and
1: absolutely stunning um we start every single episode of this podcast by asking our
0: guests what kindness means to them so what does kindness mean to you I think to me it's a way of life I think it's how you choose to live your life and I think it has to be really encouraged unfortunately in today's in today's society but it's definitely a way to choose how you live your life I think and and really the ultimate kindness has to come from within within you I think because you have to be kind to yourself in order to kind of be a kind person I think and that's where it starts what about someone in your
1: life that you feel like has been particularly kind
0: to you is there someone that stands out yeah I've been really really blessed with my friends actually my friend circle and I think going through life going through the things that me and my children have kind of lived through um the times that I've been shown the most kindness has been when I've not been um, able to ask for it. I've been in a position where I've been um, having to go to food banks, for example, or or, or times in my life when my pride, um, you know, got in the way for me reaching out and asking. And the people that have just really reached out to me in those kind of situations, I think they're the ones that stand out to me. My best friend, for example, this morning knew I was nervous, just a little kind of text. I'm thinking of you. I love you. You know, things like that. You just touched on something that is so important to mention
1: that just that text message, like just a little, a little message or a little, Hey, how are you doing today? Or something like that. Whether you're a kid or a teenager or an adult, like it makes such a difference, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it really does. And and it is always the small things, you know, there, there are so many organizations out there as well that kind of really promote the kindness as well that we've been lucky enough to be involved with. And, but again, it's having that, you've got to be able to reach out uh, uh, and want the kindness. And sometimes when you are got a lot of things going on in life, it's really, really hard to reach out and want the kindness, you know. I want to talk to you so much more
1: about this, but I feel like we shouldn't go too far before first explaining what you do
0: and how Woogie Big Pants came about. I've lived a life where I've kind of been on both sides of the system. Um, I grew up, I had a lot of stuff going on that had happened to me as a child and I never, ever had a voice. I could never communicate it. I had undiagnosed ADHD uh, and a lot of trauma stuff going on for me as a young child. So I grew up suppressing everything every emotion and I feel big because I'm ADHD and it was a real roundabout for me growing up Um, and so I was never really given that voice or that space and I realized after going through everything art was my way of creating art was my savior looking back on it I didn't even think at the time but whenever I'd become lost or or in a space I would create um but unfortunately I slipped through the net and I become involved with the wrong circle with the wrong kind of crowd um, I got involved in drinking drugs very early um and as a result I lived through my 20s and 30s really quite lost really in this kind of fog And it wasn't until I was 38 and I'd gone through a lot of stuff. I was in a woman's refuge with my three children. We were in one room with two beds. And I looked around me and I thought, I have nothing for myself. I'm 38. I don't have anything. And I went back to school, went back to college. And that was my first time that a teacher showed me any kindness, showed me any self-belief, showed me anything. And from leaving school and the care system with nothing, I ended up going to college, achieving my degree. Um, I just got nothing but kind of kindness from there from that organization they were absolutely fantastic Um, and going through what we went through as a family I did go through domestic abuse situations I did go through situations where I become really scared that my children wouldn't have a voice um, that they wouldn't be able to communicate to me so I kind of started off the, the original books that I write. They're art therapy books and they just really encourage children to kind of take a holistic approach to where they're at. Um, and the first couple were aimed just specifically for my children um, because I, I that was my fear. My fear was that they were finding life hard like I was and they couldn't reach out um so and also buying books and things like that for them when we were going through a really hard time there was nothing out there for single mums there was no stories that a single parent was the hero it, you know that I was having to ad-lib these kind of classic rates that I love to kind of include myself and the children in the situation um so looking out there there was just no really honest open material out there for us at all um just something that would be able to kind of encourage them to sit down create let's talk about it you know so that's where it originated from and um yeah it's gone from strength to strength it's gone from a couple of books that I wrote personally for my children because my eldest son has down syndrome so he's 23 now he's the managing director of our company um and um yeah it it you know, it's basically gone from there. We're now in 21 books and we're working with our local authority. And yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. Can you believe it? Do you wake up in the morning and you just go, what? Like, how did I get here?
1: Like, is it, or is it, no? I worked so hard. I'm not surprised that I got to this place, you know, or is it both? Is it is it kind of the combination?
0: I can appreciate the work that I've done because it's been three years in the making. And so it's been a real labour of love. And alongside the books, I decided to create a well-being app that goes along with the children that I'm just in stage three at the moment. I had no clue how to build an app, none. I self-taught myself everything through YouTube. I had huge imposter syndrome, massively, massively. So even after obtaining a degree, um, huge, huge imposter syndrome, but my university took me on and have just rolled with me and I've had to do so much self-development work, you know, because I write this stuff, people might think, Oh, well I've, I'm together. I got it all together. Well, no, that's why I have written the stuff because I didn't get that help until 38 years old. You know, I didn't get that extra input and uh, and that extra insight. So I can appreciate it. I also get massive imposter syndrome. So I use lockdown really cleverly. I just got every qualification going. Um, I just hyper-focused and, and, and got myself really, really qualified. So I've almost, I've got the lived experience and I've now got the learned experience too. So I do feel slightly more... Uh, less like an imposter but I don't think that will ever go and I think that's okay. I think that's absolutely okay. I work with what I've got and I try to work to my strengths as best as I can. I read a really great quote yesterday actually that said we shouldn't call
1: it imposter syndrome because if you're feeling that way it just means you're pushing yourself, you're challenging yourself, you're taking risks, you're being brave and you're hopefully, you know, achieving something great. And I thought that was just such a great way of looking at it. Cause I think we all suffer from what we like to call imposter syndrome when you're really pushing yourself and you're, you know, just getting out there and doing exciting things. And I thought that was just a really positive way of going, no, you're not an imposter. You're actually just really trying to live to your, your full potential.
0: I think something so simple as flipping it round in your mind is you know, it's such a great tool and something that I didn't discover as an adult. And I really do talk about that a lot. Um, you know positive mental attitude and and the little things that you do have the power to change you know you really do and some of my books I did I've just completed one um where I talk to the child that's the bully rather than I'm talking to the child that's getting bullied because a lot of my books kind of cover those general things anyway I really had to dig deep as somebody who got bullied so terribly at school um somebody as an adult still carrying those scars that You know, things were said to me at 11, 10, they stay. So I really kind of took that idea and I thought we need to be showing the kids that are doing the bullying, the kindness and the love and the understanding. And where are they at and why are they acting out like that? You know, because it's very easy to to kind of overlook that. Um, It's definitely something that I feel very, very passionate about, you know, showing that kindness to places where you wouldn't necessarily um, think to show it immediately.
1: Yeah, I love that. I was actually just about to ask you what makes your books and your toolkits different. Um, I have three kids. I've got three boys. I know you have three kids as well. And there are some things out there for, you know, anxiety and worry or bullying already. And I was just about to ask you what makes yours different. And I think you just touched on that. I love that you are addressing not just the kids who are suffering and are getting bullied, but also the ones who are doing the bullying who are suffering in their own ways.
0: And also that can happen to any child. I mean, I, I do this as a living. Um, Just last year, the reason why I got the idea for the book is there'd been a misunderstanding in my son's school. The word bullying kind of got bandied around. And as a parent, I was so mortified. Like I do this as a job. You know, when we got to the actual story, it wasn't bullying. But that word just as a parent was just horrendous to think that my child could have been a part of that i don't think that gets talked about enough either you know a, a lot of my books deal with the very very difficult stuff it doesn't kind of tiptoe around it it does deal with um children that have suffered child abuse it does deal with sexual abuse it does deal with divorce um they're really kind of stuff tough stuff they're not fairy tales but in the same way they deal with that subject with nothing but love and understanding no judgment you know really kind of giving them just options to create to make music to meditate you know just to do really really simple lovely things for themselves you know a very young at a very young age
1: I love that and you have a background in art therapy as well and I think a lot of parents put so much stress on sports for example or um performing arts but not necessarily build in enough time for just creativity and mindfulness and just art in the way that we used to do when we were kids where you just sit down and draw or things like that. Why do you think that that's important and in your experience like what kind of impact can that have on children?
0: Well speaking from someone who's neurodiverse myself having ADHD the the kind of academic side to it was difficult the sports discipline side of it was super difficult for me you know I, I I wasn't responding very well to uh authority figures and things like that so for me art was my middle ground it really enabled me just to give me that safe space to create which is exactly what I want to give to the children um and my books they do they have a voice they have my voice I guess and the amount of feedback that I get where children and adults, a lot of adults in recovery, for example, are using them, but they just reach out and say that that voice reached them inside their home. Maybe they've got a lot of stuff going on. This book, but, you know, any book, it it's giving them that voice, that kind of, Hey, listen, it doesn't matter that right now the page that you're on is crazy. You know, it doesn't matter. You can turn that page. We can start again. And It's giving them that kind of directness that children do need, you know, but in in a way that they can kind of understand it and it's not too heavy, you know, nothing's too heavy. Yeah, and I think there's still, unfortunately, stereotypes that,
1: that we need to break down as well where... People, I have three boys and people instantly think, oh, girls are the artsy ones. Boys are the sporty ones. Right? It always amazes me at the stereotypes that here in 2022 still exist. I mean, you know, things like we literally at one point had a parent in one of the schools my, my kids was in who didn't want her son playing with glitter because that was too girly. And I was like, "What? what is going on? Like, there's just so many strange things like that that still exist in society and I think it's really important that we remind kids like it's okay to be arty like it's okay to if you're you know a so-called sporty boy to sit there and be interested in drawing or dancing or whatever that form of creativity is and I really make an effort to make sure that my kids have that creative time and that creative space in their in
0: their days and to play right to play you know I think we we get so caught up like you say in, in, in the kind of this systematic kind of educational system whereas that I think everybody learned homeschooling the hard way we all kind of did that throughout the pandemic but I just loved it. I mean my kids come out with A's in art but they've all failed massively in maths you know because I'm just not that way inclined but we just played to our strengths we played to our strengths and my youngest son Theo's just gone through a diagnosis now of ADHD himself um so, yeah, it's just kind of taking those rules, regulations and things like that. We seem to still get very, very caught up in and just showing the kids that it's absolutely OK, because it always amazes me that prevention comes in at the kind of probation prison set, you know, level. This this kind of, you know, they're kind of chucking things up. It always amazes me that not so much more is spent on early prevention, you know, really kind of getting them when they're young and just knowing that they're OK to be them and it's OK to be you. wanted to talk to you also
1: about um, anxiety and worry with kids because I do love that you have the worry pack and could you explain a little bit about why you came up with that and also do you have any tips for people that on how to recognize like signs of anxiety or worry in their kids or how to talk to them about that you know maybe before giving them something like the worry pack
0: For me, I lived it. I lived anxiety from around two and a half years old. Um, I was in fear and anxiety. Um, But again, not given a voice or any kind of outlet to get rid of that fear and anxiety. So I just remember being very scared a lot as a child, you know, no matter what situation I was in. And I always talk about it being an icky feeling in my tummy. You know, I would always feel it straight away. I wouldn't think it. I would feel it straight to my gut um and i would get a lot of stomach problems as a result so i think even children that can't find the words to say they're anxious there are things to kind of look out for perhaps stroking their tummy or you know just kind of a nervous disposition but um i think children becoming withdrawn it's so, so difficult to kind of know what to say to them, even when it's your own child. You know, how do you approach that? Um, so, for example, the wibbly-wobbly packet, it, it, it just takes the children through a whole experience and a whole journey, just kind of saying to them, listen, you've got this, let's just take a minute, we're going to sit life out for a minute, we're going to work out what it is that your strengths are, and let's play to them. You know, like you said, in schools, they're expected. You know, I've told my 12-year-old now, You worry about the lessons that you're thriving in. You worry about that and we'll worry about the rest. You know, you concentrate on that, darling, because that is your strengths and whatever happens, you know, you're going to be okay. But, you know, there are physical signs to look out for. Um, But again, after this pandemic, after everybody being locked away, it's so, so difficult for our kids to kind of get back out there and get back out socialising I just taught some children pinhole photography at my local college and um, I loved it. It was great. But you know what I saw three years ago? I did the same workshops and the kids were hooping and hollering up that corridor. You know, I had to deal with a lot of kind of a lot of liveliness and, and it was great. They were alive. And, you know, I really did notice the difference in the kids. This time after the pandemic, after lockdown, there was a real kind of. Uh, for want of a better word, they they some of them were quite defeated, you know, at that age. And I just thought, my God, this is something that we've really got to be pouring our time and resources into now. We need to heal them. You know, us lot, we're older, we can deal with things, we can reach out, we can Google, we can go to the doctors, we can make ourselves appointments. You know, these these little ones are kind of coming up for a system. And it's quite scary. It's quite, uh, to me, I felt sad that they weren't that kind of, that energy had kind of been stripped away from them, you know.
1: I couldn't agree more. And I think we haven't even started to really look into the impact and the long-term impact on children that COVID and all the lockdowns and all the isolation, everything had. So I, I completely agree with you. And I share the same worry for them as well. Are there things that older children can do to help Younger children cope with their anxiety or with bullying or opening up about their feelings. Like I think, obviously, as parents, we're always trying to do that. But are there things that say teenagers can do to help younger kids or, um, you know, young older kids that are around for the for the younger kids? Can they work together as well?
0: Yeah, hugely. I think peer advice is massively important because I think children who are twelve, my twelve-year-old, for example, would listen to a guy of sixteen more so than he's going to listen to his mum who does this for a living, right? So I think, but how do you do that when you've suffered that such anxiety yourself and you're not quite through it? You've got to be so brave to reach out to these kids. But I do believe that living in a world of social media that we do now. Everything is for a screen of a screen. And I talk a lot about that in my books too. How life can look very, very different to what it is to what people portray. And I think young people, for example, here in England, we have a footballer called Marcus Rashford. And oh, he just used his platform right. He got it totally right. You know, he's a young lad. He's been raised by a single mum. He's known what it's like to struggle. And I think if you've been there and you've come through it the other side, you have uh an obligation to reach out to people that are going through it still and an obligation to say, Hey, listen, you know, it got crazy for me too. Um, This is what I did. This is what helped me. And just the smallest thing, just the smallest kind of reach out would, would make all the difference. But I, I think with the collapse of kind of here in England, there's a very big collapse in society where there's no kind of youth clubs anymore. The local pubs are shutting the kind of local community, has been falling away by the wayside for quite a long time. And the one good thing I could say, one of the good things about the pandemic was there was a real sense of community again. Um, I know there was in our village, you know, people couldn't leave the house. So everybody was really helping each other out. And I think that's where we have to start again, that, you know, the really kind of back to the youth clubs, back to the social workers, back to the kind of the beginnings of it and get peers that have gone through it. Um, You know, I think that's a, a great idea because like I said, they're more likely to listen to somebody that's, five years on from them than 55 or 35 or whatever. One thing that we always do on this podcast
1: is we love to share a neighbor story from somewhere in the world, something that has happened on on Nextdoor. Nextdoor is actually now in one in four households in the UK. Um, We're just so excited about the tremendous growth we've had in the UK over the years and seeing the beautiful stories coming out from neighborhoods all over the UK. Um, And I want to share this story about a 12-year-old named Clementine, actually. We've spoken a lot about 12-year-olds on this podcast, and this one's about a girl named Clementine and she is just 12 and with a little bit of help from her mom she's actually making a really big impact in her neighborhood. So she likes to take her dog Bob to the dog park and Clementine came up with the idea of creating a dog library. She noticed that dogs often forget or dog owners I should say forget to bring toys with them to the dog park and she said that it was actually making her feel really sad because she would go to the dog park and she would get sad to see these dogs around without anything to play with so she first started by putting out a little box of dog toys and and balls that the dogs could play with and she left a little sign that just said you know take a toy and return it and created this dog toy library essentially um of course she posted this on next door it was a big hit and her mom told us that she was absolutely over the moon with the reception she got from her neighbors on next door and she wanted to give a big thank you to the neighborhood and to thank nextdoor for amplifying her efforts in the neighborhood and said that Clementine has just Absolutely loved the attention. It's
0: making her feel really happy that she's pretty popular with the doggies as well. So how do you feel about that one? Well, to me, I'm all about the dogs. So I think that's absolutely incredible. And I think encouraging our young ones to really think about their kind of neighborhood and their surroundings and what they can do in that in that small space is just so, so important, you know, to start the ball rolling in a much more positive direction. And what a genius business idea you know what a lovely that's yes, absolutely fantastic well done Clementine um,
1: so another thing that we like to do is what we call the kind carousel where we get to ask you all kinds of questions so this is where we can have a little bit of fun I think of it like a, a little speed round here so here we go here's the first one what does a Friday night look like in your household
0: Oh well, I'm really lucky. We live about 10 minutes away from the beach. So especially right now in this um, English heat wave that no one's coping with very well, we get to just hit the beach, we get some hot dogs, we get a barbecue, and we swim. You write children's books, you write things for kids. But when
1: you're in a bookstore, what section do you go to? And who are some of your favourite authors and what,
0: what you're actually reading right now? Well, I'm actually secretly obsessed with American law. So John Grisham for me is my go-to. Oh, Interesting.
1: I would have never guessed John Grisham. I also used to be. I lived in New Orleans for about seven and a half years where so many of his books take place. And I think I've read all of his books for that that reason. But I would not have picked that. Love that. Absolutely love that. Okay, what about um, your top three favorite artists and what you love about them?
0: Oh, gosh. So my first one is Richard Binningham. Uh, he is a photographer and he just documents. Again, very much documentary. Um, and he just captures life. My background, where well, I'm from, I'm from um, a housing estate, a poor housing estate. I grew up very much in in and around poverty. Um, and this guy just captures the most beautiful side of uh, his family. And I, I just love it. So him, Chacey Emin as well. I just love her, her. She's just, I remember when she brought out the bed exhibition. And I was quite young when it came out. And there was such a, uh, a huge thing over here in England about how could she get this thing? And I just looked into her and, oh, she's just done some really beautiful work about, um, you know, how she expresses herself. I just think is great. And the third one, gosh, this is, I think, the third one. Uh my favorite artist I think it's got to be my son Reese actually because he's 23 and he does really communicate through his art um and like I say he's helped me along the way with things so yeah I think my son Reese is my third favorite artist beautiful and does his art feature in your books as well Yeah. So actually, funny enough, some of my um, illustrations, I write and illustrate all the books. So Reese has helped me along with um, some of the app software, which is Colour by Numbers. He's helped me along with the colour schemes. Um, But some of my drawings in here have been taken from my sketchbooks from age three upwards. So they're kind of drawings that I did as a child. And then I've digitally kind of done them in the books as well, which is cute. Absolutely love that. Also a good segue to my next question, which is what is one thing that still surprises you about your children? I think actually, well, it doesn't surprise me because I've raised them like that, but they are super kind. I think my younger two, my daughter's 18, Theo's 12. They have really been raised around a bro- older brother with special needs. And I really think that's brought out the kindness in them, you know, because they're so super quick to help anyone. Okay. Last question. Kindness is
1: obviously this at the centre of all of your books and everything that you create. How are
0: you kind to yourself? What do you do to show kindness to yourself? So that was tough. Like I said, I think people look to me because I write this that I'm some kind of um, very spiritual, very healed person. Well, I'm really not. That's why I do what I do. I didn't learn anything about myself or my environment or my surroundings or my condition until 38. So... For me, it's accepting that's okay. That's okay. No one picked things up when I was little. Um, It's okay that um, I was left to it a little while of my life. Um, And I'm kind to myself because I forgive myself. I forgive myself for mistakes that I've made because I've made some whoppers along the way. (laughs) I really have. But I forgive that now. And I was surviving a situation. I forgive myself for what I did in survival mode. So that's the kindest thing that I can do for myself. Well, you are an absolutely beautiful person inside and out. And I'm
1: sure this is not the last time that we will speak. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Can you share for anyone listening how they can find your resources? Where can they find your books
0: and your toolkits and everything else? Yeah, we're on Facebook under the Adventures of Woody Big Pants instagram woogie big pants art therapy and uh, yeah just on our website which is woogiebigpants.com it's so great to talk to you and if you want to start connecting
1: with your neighbors now and you want to find some great kids in the neighborhood as well like clementine you can download the Nextdoor app for free in any neighborhood in 11 countries around the world and you can also just go to nextdoor.com thanks so much jenna we'll talk to you soon thank you